How are we doing, everyone? And welcome to Talking to Mod. Today is our 10th episode, and I am buzzing because today is a very, very good friend of mine. I want to thank all the guests that we've had in the past. And let me tell you now, we have got some fantastic names lined up coming up soon. So strap yourselves in. You don't want to miss it. But today, we have Russell Hastings, who is the front man in From the Jam. Lovely guy, really good friend of mine. Shall we find out more about him? I think we should. Ladies and gentlemen, strap yourselves in, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 10 of Talking to Mod with Russell Hastings. How are you, Russ? How are you, I'm good. Now we've got you. Now, are you there? Am I upside down? Are you, are you in Australia? You're upside yeah. down? Am I? You are. You're on still sideways. How about that? Ah, ah, there we are. Now, let me do it better than that. Let's have a look at that. How's that? Um, that's brilliant, mate. Magic, as uh, some would say. Let me do this. Let me just get a bit inventive here. One second. Get the old tripod. Ah, oh, stop it. This, watch this. How's that? Perfect. Couldn't ask for better, mate. All right, great. How are you, mate? You well? Yeah, I'm really good. Good. Yeah, I am. Now, I'm better than the sun's out. I'm a sun person, so yeah, good. Mate, you got the shorts on and everything. I mean, I'm looking outside at the moment <laughs> in Belfast. I'm thinking I'm going to have to put my rain jacket yes. on in a minute. Your fault for living out there, isn't it? You weren't the first person who said that, mate, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Russell, first of all, mate, thank you very much for joining me on this, mate. It's the 10th uh, episode today, so it's been going really well, and I, I appreciate your time, mate, I really do. Okay, cool. So, uh, what I want to know is, how did you first get into music, mate? Remind me. From a very young age, I was four years of age, my first memory is getting my mum to go and buy a single called Oh Bloody, Oh Bloody, oh, by the Beatles. Yeah. And uh, and I was four, so I was yeah, I'm a 65 baby, so I was four, and uh, and unusually, I mean it's unusual these days, but it wasn't so much unusual in those days. But we were all into music really, and uh, records, and uh, you know I just take the charts in the early 70s and the mid 70s, and then my brother really, which was great because he was my brother's four years older than me. And he came home with um, the Stranglers album. He actually, no, he came home with Nevermind the Bollocks first. And, uh, and I remember listening to Peaches around 76, late 76. And, um, and then he cut, you know, and Nevermind the Bollocks as well, thinking this is pretty fucking good. This is, this is what I like. Because it was so different. And then the Pistols, really, I mean, everybody, well, a lot of people cite that, but that was a time for me. The Pistols was such a, and everybody around me, all the kids at school, you know, we're talking, what was I? I was 11 and 12 when the Pistols were sort of at their, their height. But I was into it. it. It felt like I was 18, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so that's my, my memory. Uh, and, and my memory of music is that I've always been into it for, ever since I can remember. Similar to me, to be fair, mate. I mean, you know that, but I, I will be testing your memory with some of these questions. Oh, I'm fucking good, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the first time we met? What about that one? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, Brighton, Concord too. Oh, was that when I when I went through the dressing room? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> God. 
Yeah. Good job them days are in the past now, eh? Yeah, yeah, well, it's all right, you know. We've got a journey, haven't we? Yeah, we certainly have, mate. I appreciate that. Yeah. But again, music's played a big part in your in your life, same as it has mine, mate. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about what you were listening to. What about, do you remember the first time you actually went to a live gig? Yeah, I do. Um, in fact, my first live gig was would have been somewhere like Pontins in 1973. Where, and I honestly, I sat at the side of the stage and I used to watch him with a curly lead. I can, I'm recalling it now as I'm telling you. Drummer there, I remember the sound of the drums, how, how crisp the drums were. Curly lead on the guitar amps and the guitars. And, uh, and I thought, I want to do that. And, and then there was a youth club across the road from me. And all the bands, like young bands, you know, and I, I guess they would have been in their late teens, used to come and rehearse there. And so we used to go over to the youth club and look through the windows and watch them, you know, and, and there's a few people that I recall being in there. And so I was, you know, I was curious from, from day one, really. And that's, you know, I, I, I was really impressionable around that age. And that's what I wanted to do. You know, I looked at all the amps, all the martial amps that were around at the time and, uh, and the guitars, you know, and used to talk to the bands when they come in and out. So again, you know, I just was, you know, I lived it from a very young age. Yeah. And I take it you're also at a very young age when you bought your first instrument, which is probably a guitar, was it? It was, yeah. I, I learned it. I picked up the guitar when I was about seven. Um, but nothing happened, really, apart from getting sore fingers. But then I, I think I got my first guitar when I was 12. And then my, my mum paid for three lessons, guitar lessons for a birthday present, which was the best money ever spent. And there was a wonderful guy called Brian Cornwall and his sister was uh, the famous actri actress, Judy Cornwall, who was in Hyacinth for the program in the nineties. And they used to look fucking identical. And it was like her coming round my house, you know, to, to teach me. But um, around that time, he used to, you know, I wasn't a theory person at all. I'm no good with theory whatsoever. So music and theory, so I used to just, you know, he taught me where the major notes were and that's all I needed to know. And the rest I worked it out myself, you know. Yeah. I would, I'd like to ask you a bit of advice, all right? Um, you're very good with advice. So for someone starting out with a guitar, and when I mean someone, I'm talking about yeah. myself, right? Yeah. It's something that I've tried, I've got the guitar in the spare room and now and then I'll pick it up and think, I can do this. And I start playing a bit and I think, oh, fucking well, I can't. I'll stick to the magic. But what advice would you give me? Dick at it. Just keep doing it. And find a, find a tune that you love to, you know, whether you, you want to hear a fucking jam song or an Oasis song or whatever. Find a song you love and you want to emulate. And then pick the guitar up and, and find out the chords for it. But just do it like that. Otherwise, if you're going to try something that's too difficult for you, um, you know, try some of the early Beatles stuff. Can't buy me love. You know, I'm into that. I'm, I'm having a Beatles phase at the moment. I've done for about the last six weeks. Brilliant. Unbelievable. You know, I'm listening to the uh, Let It Be recordings and all the, the demos and the outtakes. And, and I am so into all that. And funnily enough, I was when we were in the studio doing Smash the Clock, no, uh, the butterfly effect, the last album. I remember going to, on the way there to Brighton and uh, listening to Across the Universe. And uh, I was just completely blown away. And I remember going in the studio and Bruce, 
come down the stairs as I went in and I've just pushed past him and went, hang on, I can't talk a minute. I've got to grab, and I grabbed the guitar and I picked up a, uh, and then there's a, a particular track on the album, but you've got to listen to the album to, to hear where I sort of ripped it off really, where I ripped off what I was uh, hearing. And I just went in and played it, especially what George Harrison, what he was doing on, with a wild wild pedal. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm very Beatles uh, inspired. But look, go and get yourself a track, listen to a track and just keep at it. I've been listening to a lot of like Noel's acoustic stuff when it's just him on his own. Yeah. And again, I'm getting a little bit of it, Russell, but it's, it's then like, I don't know. I think, as you said, it's one of them things you've just got to stick with it. Similar probably to the magic, you know, just keep practicing as much as I can. It is, yeah. Yeah, just go for things, you know, the G, C and D and then work out some, listen to some rock and roll because it's a G, C and D or, or you know, and it's all the simple stuff, you know, people, I think well, the trouble is that people try and get a bit too clever or think they can and it just ain't happening, you know, your fingers won't work like that. No. Well, that's, that's my next uh, target now. I'll, I'll be testing you. I'll be testing you. Play a song. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you've got your guitar, mate. You're practicing, you're listening, and you're learning as much as you can. Do you remember the first time you went out and performed? Yeah, I do. With a band called Paralysis. Some great old friends of mine. I was with them yesterday, actually. And uh, we're in a band. I was 15. And uh, played the first gig at a, a youth gathering at Crawley. And it was amazing. And I thought, I'm fucking having this. You know, it was, it was just amazing. Um, yeah. It's just, it was amazing. It was just fantastic from the age of 15. And a lot happened. I was in that band around that period of time and a lot was happening because it was all that mod revival thing was going on around then. You know, you had Long Tall Shorty, you had The Chords, you had The Purple Arts, you had uh, Us, um, FAB. And we were all on the same sort of uh, circuit, really, from a very young age. And, um, and, and I was convinced it was all going to happen. But then... You know, you can ask me about it and I don't mind talking about it, but then the drugs sort of like took over for me, you know, the drugs and, and the booze. Well, the drugs really, and you know, and it spun me off onto the wrong angle and uh, it fucked me for a few years. And then I sort of reeled myself back in and uh, yeah, that's what happened to me. I can't hide that because it's part of my history, you know, so I'm never going to sort of blank over it and I never do. You know, I've, I've been clean for 26 years now, I've been clean this over for 26 years. Um, but um, which is amazing, you know, which enables me to do what I do today, you know. 100%, mate. And just to touch up on that, I weren't going to just bring it up, but I'm glad you have. Um, I'm on my journey, as you know, and yeah. out of the people who, who are around me, um, you've been just one of the biggest helps. So I, I, want, I mean, I've thanked you many times on the phone, but I think it's nice that I've done it on the podcast as well, because, sure. uh, you know, you were like a little shoulder when i needed something you know you put sorry you put your arm around me when i needed so uh and you gave me some life-changing advice and that's why now i'm able to speak to you and i'm i'm no, 13 sure. months 13 months 14 months it'll be soon yeah, so much well done ben it's that's fucking great that is i love it you know I, I i'm a big i get excited when i talk about it you know because i for one you know i do but i for one used to think god i never trust anyone that doesn't take drugs or drink you know yeah. And then it turned on me and bit me, you know, and uh, and it stopped working for me, you know, and uh, because of the amount I was consuming, really. And, uh, and I wouldn't be able to do what I do today, you know. I, you know, when I speak to Bruce and Bruce talks about it, and he, he you know, because he didn't know me in those days, and uh, of course he didn't, 
you know, when we were doing all that, when I was at it, you know, and I didn't start out to be a junkie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who does? I didn't start, I thought this, uh, I was out for a ride, you know, I was out for a party. And, and I thought it went hand in hand, to be honest. And, and uh, well, it did in my life. Mm. But then there was people around me that were, um, you know, people in bands that used to say to me, you want to knock it on the head. <laughs> you want to ease back a bit, you know. But I didn't know. I thought, fuck that. You no. know? How do you ease back? No idea. I mean, that's similar to, um, I know I've told you the story of when I went and saw Miles Kane at Concord 2 and then Paul Weller was there and then I met Paul at the back and we were chatting and talking and I was just off me nut and he went, I think you need to ease back <laughs> a bit. I mean, I sh should have stopped there, to be honest. But yeah. like, we think we know better, don't we? Yeah. It's your journey. You ain't going to stop until you're ready anyway, are you? No, no, no. Of course not, mate. But again, thank you for that. So I've been, I've been sort of browsing some of the comments that have come up, right? And it's all like, talk about from the jam, talk about the jams. So, okay. Russell, shall we? Yeah. What they want, mate? Fire away. You know, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all, yeah, list, all ears. Good, man. Go. So how did it come around for you, mate? I mean, I know, but let's tell everyone, how did from the jam happen? Um, it's the short story. I always give the short story, but it sometimes ends up a long one. But so me and Rick Buckler knew each other from the early, early thousands, around the 2001, 2002. We, ended, we met each other at a radio station, actually. And Rick was doing some promo for something. And we got chatting and we swapped numbers. We went for a coffee. I was a big jam fan, you know, and around that period of time. But also I was, uh, we, we just got on, you know, and he was, uh, we liked each other. And we had a sort of a, a good friendship for a good 18 months or so. And then I was around Rick's one day and he said, look, I fancy playing and getting back into playing again. And I, he said, I haven't played for like 12 and a half, 13 years. He said, and you know a lot of the jam songs. Would you take, would you come in the studio with me? So I said, yeah. I said, uh, and he said, look, I've actually organised for somewhere at lunchtime for us to go down to the studio, Water Rat Studios in Woking. So we jumped in the car, went down there, booked it. And then the following week we were in, in there and I took Dave Moore, a great dear old friend of mine who was with me yesterday, who was in the original format from the jam on keys and that. And then we went to, um, went into Water Rat, Rick had had a borrowed kit at the time. No, he didn't have a drum kit. He had a borrowed kit that was there from uh, in from Mon uh, Woking Studios, which coincidentally was across the road from Bruce's old house in uh, Albert Drive in Woking, where Bruce grew up and where, where the jam was. Anyway, uh, Rick said uh, uh, we, we had four or five songs that we were going to do. So we went in there and I said, I'll tell you what, to keep it neutral ground, let's do a song that's not a jam song, but very closely associated so we started one two three four so sad about us by the who which rick knew anyway so we crashed into that had a wonderful three or four hours of playing and then uh rick said let's do it again next week so we did it again the following week and then we spent the next nine months learning a whole set and then took it out on the road as the gift the gift was out on the road for about a year bruce was out <clears throat> bumped into us at um a uh a gig we were all playing and Bruce was playing in a band called the Casbah Club with uh, Mark Brzezicki on drums, dear old Mark, was a great friend of ours uh, from Big Country, Bruce Watson from Big Country, Simon Townsend from The Who, uh, Bruce Foxham from The Jam. So Bruce said, look, we're all on the same bill. Why don't I jump up tomorrow night in Guildford and play a couple of tunes? 
So I thought, oh, fucking great. And Rick went, yeah, yeah, let's do it. What do you want to do? So he said, well, why don't we do Smithers Jones and down in the tube station? So that's what happened the next night. And it went fucking nuts. It all got leaked out and the press leaked hold of it and um, went mad. And then two days later, we all had a meeting, no management at all, just about, just four people on a bench uh, in uh, the other side of um, Guildford. In, in um, yeah, the other side of Guildford, just, I, I know I know what the place is called, the Wayside or something like that. Anyway, we had a meeting there, so do you fancy to continue this on? Should we, should we keep, do something more about this? And we went, yeah, let's do it. So I contacted um, a load of people that we were a hot potato at the time. No one wanted to touch us. They thought the idea was great. But in them days, it wasn't really dumb that going out on the road without original members and you know original singers and stuff like that for obvious reasons at the time. And, um, and then anyway, a company in America, one of the biggest companies, uh, which was um, the agency group, uh, got hold of us and said, look, how do you fancy we'll put a UK tour together? So that's what happened. And then they put an American tour together after that, and then psh, the rest is history. That's how it started. That's mental, mate. That, that has got to be, for you, I mean, as we know, both both of us, massive jam fans. Yeah. That has got to be yeah. the dream, hasn't it? You know, to yes. go up there and be playing with the original members. Yeah. You've got Bruce, you got Rick. That has got to be yeah. incredible, mate. I can't even begin to imagine. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. Um, I remember coming home at night and uh, then I was on the fucking 10 o'clock news on the dongs. I made the dongs, you know, all for good. You know, I wasn't been banged up. Or I wasn't been arrested or anymore. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't for that. It was for the dongs. It, it really was. That if you go back in time, it was in 2000 and early 2007. And so we made the BBC 10 o'clock news. Brilliant. It went dong, you know, and that's what, you know, I was really sort of mind blown about that. And then um, it was just one great big fun ride, you know, all the way we went across America, all across Japan, Australia. You know, we had a lot of fun together. A lot of fun, and I, there's there's lots of stories, you know, me and Rick and Bruce in in a yellow cab in Sears Towers in in, in Chicago, and uh, and it, on Bondi Beach together, and up the you know the Empire State Building in New York, and just things like that, you know, memory. My memory bank's full of them all, and it was a great experience, and we all had a lot of mutual respect. There was never anything, you know, there was never any um, hierarchy or anything like that. There was never any Oh, I'm Bruce and I'm Rick, you know, from the jam. And uh, there was none of that bollocks. Do you know what I mean? It was all, we were friends. That's how it was. That's why it worked, you know, for such a period of time. And, uh, you know, then, then Rick decided that he wanted to go off and do his own thing anyway, uh, which he did. And then Mark Brzezicki from Big Country stepped in for five years. Um, and then we got the wonderful Mikey Randon, who's with us today, who's, you know, is a fantastic drummer. Great guy, and and it just evolved. The thing evolved over a period of time. That's what was nice about it, you know. And yeah. some of the venues and the places you've been playing, mate, are incredible. I mean, I've seen you. No, I can't remember. I've lost count how many times I've seen you, mate. And um, most recently, saw you in Belfast at the Limelight, and um, probably the first time I've seen you sober. To be honest, mate, it was the best best fun <laughs> I've ever had. But. It's just like the crowds you pull in, it just proves that great music will never die. Do you know yeah. what I mean? There's a packed yeah. night all the time and people are just loving every moment. And for me, you know, it's the closest thing I'm going to um, 
be to see him the, the jam live, you know, because I, yeah, I, was, I guess so. I hear that said a lot, you know, but there's no intention there, you know, and I mean that there's never been any intention for me to go out and fucking be, you know, oh, I've got to sound like Paul and all this, you know, I guess it's just lucky I don't sound like Barry Gibb. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it, that's true, you know, because it's my own voice. It's the voice that I've got. And, you know, it's quite fucking weird because um, when all the, uh, when I wrote the, the last three albums, you know, Smash the Clock, uh, uh, Back in the Room and, and the butterfly effect you know people said oh it's nice to hear russell with his own voice i thought fuck off i've always got my own voice yeah. do you know what i mean i mean they they were probably being nice about it because they probably didn't quite get it that you know we come from the same area you come from the same area as us we've we've got an accent the way we sing or talk yeah. or whatever i get so that's about the only the only similarity that I can see between me and Paul. And, and it's quite interesting because Paul said to me about um, when he first heard some of the demos of the, the new album and that, when we were up at Paul's studio, he went, fucking hell, Russ. He said, I thought that was Bruce singing. So, you know, I guess it's uh, all in the, in the beholder's fucking ears, really. 100%, mate. Yeah. Right. Just keep doing it because, I mean, I mean, you don't need me to tell you that, but I fucking love watching your life, mate. <laughs> right. Have you got a favourite venue, though? Um, not, uh, yeah, I, um, they, they all change all the time. I mean, I love loads of them. You know, there's but Rock City in Nottingham oh, is brilliant. Great, great, great venue. It just is, you know. what the, the sight lines are great. The crowds are always great there. The venues run brilliantly there. You only have to do your history on who runs it. Mm. Uh you know, it's just fucking great. And then I do love, of course, I love the the uh, uh, the Barrowlands in Glasgow. You know, I love that. Um, I loved out in uh, New York, Gramercy Theatre in New York. That was pretty special. Um, Sydney was great. You know, I mean, it could go on. Oof. You know, but there's some wonderful venues. So to play the Brighton Centre was a, a bit special as well. You know, that was pretty good. Um, Every time I ask this question, there's one name that always comes up, and that's the Barrowlands. And for me, that, that I mean, I remember when I was on the tour with um, the Brian Jonestown Massacre, and I remember messaging you at some of the venues and saying, we've played here, and you were like, I've played here. And I was thinking, fucking hell, I'm going to get one over him in a minute. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I remember saying, the Barrowlands, you're like, yeah, been there. And I was yeah. like, oh, hey. Yeah. Some of the venues, are, like that one, there's something about that. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the history of... Like some of the names who have played there, it's mind blowing. Like if you think about it, if I was to think about it before I went on the stage, I wouldn't have done it. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm scared. But it is such an iconic venue, mate. It is. It's so iconic. Yeah, it's incredible. And where it's situated is as well. You know, and the, they've never done the dressing rooms up, which is brilliant. You know, the little yellow stars are still on the wall in there. You know, everybody goes in there, and it's just so recognisable. You know, and uh, yeah, I love it. I love going there. I love playing, you know, I love playing in Scotland. I, I do love playing in Scotland. I think it's something to do with some of my old heritage, um, family heritage. But, you know, I love playing there. I love playing all around the place, really. Anywhere that, that, that receives us well is, is a great gig, you know. 100%, mate. I hear you there. Now, in Belfast, you, heard, you played a song that you don't often hear many people playing it, and it was Life From A Window. Oh, right. jam. And I yeah. think it's... That's, probably in my top five songs by the jam yeah. but for some people like i remember having a few chats with people saying you, you heard this one they're like no it's, yeah. it's fucking criminal you ain't heard it it's a very yeah. underrated tune would yep. you say oh totally 
yeah absolutely you know um and I, I have got that story when i was walking with bruce across london we were we played i think we played in dublin and then we flew into london the following day and then we were walking back from soundcheck and bruce said there's the post office tower there because it was near the old band's accountants and that's how we came up talking about life from a window and he went why don't we do it i went it's a fucking great track Brilliant. you know it's just got it's a standout track for me apart on the modern world album and it and it just uh, provokes a lot of memories for me from those that 70 78 time you know around that that period late 77 78 time you know of hearing it and uh you know london traffic as well things like that but life from a window is um i just think the way it's put together is um just pure magic really and people really used to think people talk about paul's writing and i can see him because i spoke to paul about this a lot of that stuff you know he's writing he was not complicated and he never thought too much i went to people i used to say to people i still do i say don't forget paul was only sort of 19 years of age he had no you know, he had, didn't have 30, 40 years of experience behind him. So he was quite a genius at a young age for writing a lot of that stuff. You know, it just fell naturally for him, you know. Um, and I like that, the way the songwriting was so simple in those days as well. Um, I learned a lot of his writing, you know. I, I think Paul was one of the magic people. I'm going to talk about the magic chord. And uh, Paul finds it, and so does um, uh, Glenn Tilbrook from squeeze and so does McCartney and they find that that chord that where it goes off like if you want to call it the middle eight and, and the bit that everybody says oh I love this bit coming up oh I love this bit that's the bit you got to look for and Paul's the master at, at that you know it's when he goes off like on head start and you know certain tracks that, that he plays you know I just think he's he's great at finding the the, the magic chord that laces it all together in my opinion, anyway. Oh, 100%. I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you there, mate. Definitely, definitely. You mentioned there a band, The Squeeze, right? One of my favourite tunes ever, Up The Junction. Yeah. I, I, I play it probably religiously every day. Yeah. Lyrics, uh, especially the one at the end, do you know what I mean? When it's all pretty much gone, basically. What a tune that is, man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it is brilliant. You know, I, I'm lucky. I do know Chris as well, Chris Difford. And... Uh, because he used to have a studio called Heliocentric. I didn't know whether you know that. You know, that's where the the name the name Heliocentric came from. And uh, you know, Chris was around around that period of time. In fact, he's one of us, really. Sort of, he won't mind me saying that. You know, he's he's followed a quite a sober life for many years now. And um, he's really was one of the great songwriters and lyricists out there. You know, him and Glenn. You know together a power pack mate they're you know forced to be reckoned with you know i really rate them those two like lennon and mccartney really you know, sacred, but yeah brilliant man 100 yeah. percent. now away from from the jam now i want to talk about you mentioned it briefly at the beginning you and bruce have brought out some of your own music and you often play it in, in your gigs and it gets it's so well received as well and i mean i've got the albums right. and i think they're brilliant mate especially the last one you've done Let's yeah, talk. Butterfly Effect, I'm really proud of that one. I'm really proud of them all, really, because, you know, they're all, um, they all mean a lot to me. But the Butterfly Effect came about much more naturally than anything else. You know, I wasn't trying, I'll tell you why, we, it was the only album that we didn't record at Paul's, at, at Black Barn. 
and we recorded it down in the studio in Brighton at, at the uh, Leveller Studio. It was their own studio. Yeah, yeah. Metway Studios. And the old producer, um, Al Scott, I bumped into Al Scott, um, who's a lovely guy, who sort of comes out of the Rack Studios days from sort of uh, 78, 79, through uh, you know, Mickey Most, uh, who's, a, who's a very famous sort of uh, rock and roll guy years ago. And um, he came out of that sort of era and... I got chatting with him and said, look, Al, are you up for doing some production on, a, on some new, new work? And he went, yeah, just give me a call. So around that time, COVID was around and um, Vic Coppersmith-Heaven, you know, the jams producer, was uh, up for doing the production on it and producing the whole album. But Vic been a little bit el more elderly and he was worried about COVID and he wanted the, uh, the studios to be air conditioned and we were sort of pushing against budgets really so we went back to Al Scott and Al said look come and do it at Matway Studios in um, Brighton uh, and I just think the atmosphere in there was just magical because it was just dead peaceful and quiet Al Scott was very easy to work with Mark Brzezicki came in with me and Bruce in the early days of that album and then Mike came in our drummer now and came in and did a few tracks but it was all really most of it was pretty much written before we took it in there Lula, I wrote in the kitchen here. Um, but there's a track called Too Old to Cry, Too Young to Die, which Vic Smith really liked. And he wanted to... But then when he's heard it now, he said, I don't think I can do anything more with it. You know, I don't think I could have done a better job with it, which is nice to hear, you know. But, yeah, um, we, 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 we love that stuff. And I'm really proud of it. You know, I'm really proud of what we... Because it was important that to, to put out stuff and to to write you know some good stuff i didn't want to write stuff that uh sounded about people have said some really strange things and it's strange to me and they say oh it sounds like the missing track off sound effects i'm like fucking hell how can you say that i can't i just cannot even envisage where that comes from you know because there's no trying with that album whatsoever all the tracks or we're not trying to make a sound or trying to be like anybody you know, it's a, it's just a culmination of um, a big pot of musical taste of over the years, you know. And yeah, I think there's some great songs on there. Oh, I would agree with you, mate. And Lula's getting a hell of a lot of love in the comments here. So uh, right. I think that's everyone's favourite song. Um, have right. you got a, a, go on. Go on, I was just say, you know, I was watching the, uh, I sort of don't want to sort of release the, uh, the cat out of the bag on that one, but I was watching a series called this is us when i wrote that and um it's that a big american thing that a lot of people got into about two two years ago and uh and there was a labby siffrey track that um that was from the 70s that they played on the tv series and the following day it must have been a couple of days later i'm in the kitchen and i just remember hearing it and thinking and it was also that track from something in the air and it was just a chord structure and I heard it and went with it and I kept playing it and my wife Kim was making dinner and um, and I'm playing it and she's stopped what she's doing and usually she'd tell me to fuck off because I'm annoying her but <laughs> and she went I really like that I really love it what is it and I went oh it's just a new thing I'm working on really so then I stuck down some lyrics the next day to it and then uh, captured it and found um, found the magic the, the magic chord for it, and 
it sort of fell into place really it all happened pretty quickly that one but it's a nice pop tune and then of course the sax breaks on it with tony rico richardson from uh, various Re different places yeah. but from bad manners namely and uh yeah guitar pop and uh, what's it, the death of guitar pop and those boys he played with them a lot but he came in and and and, and during covid days you know and we wrote the, wrote the whole track you know it was loving it i loved it i thought it was a great track Brilliant, mate. Brilliant. Have you got an album that you would say is the album to your life? Is there one that you play religiously every week? There isn't, but, well, I mean, I'm lying when I say that, really. There's a few. And I had one on this morning. I had Nevermind the Bollocks on this morning. And I put Bodies on as well. And it's probably one of my favourite tracks because it just gets me going. You know, Bodies is just so ahead of its time you know the whole pistols album is still you know i'll tell you what i i, I voiced it into on the phone this morning i said uh you know play uh anarchy in the uk and it come up with megadeth's version no. i thought this and it was in the car but it was mind-blowing you've got to hear it you know anybody out there go and listen to megadeth's version of anarchy in the uk the bottom end in it blows the doors off the car oh, and the kick drum in it honestly i'm coming up the road <laughs> with megadeth anarchy in the uk in the car and uh you know and also it's not a secret but i'm into boating and um and i do like riling people up really and i'm coming out of cows a little while ago which is like the mecca of the yachting world you know and i'm not into yachts i'm into motorboats and i had um frigging in the rigging Put, and I thought, fucking, I'm having that. And so I put frigging in the rigging and I'm blasting it out <laughs> as I'm coming right out past Royal Cows Yacht Club, thinking, yeah, there's still a, still a uh, you know, I've still got it in me, you know, to be <laughs> a little bit controversial, you know. Although I try to be have a quiet life today, you know, for most things, but I can still get poked with a stick sometimes by authority you know and it really riles me i can't help it <laughs> it's just the way i am that's just the way we are mate eh? so obviously you mentioned a bit about your boating and that but another thing that i know you love is a hobby is golf yeah. you're you're a very keen golfer mate oh, i mean uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am fucking love it i've just got a group of friends that we go out and we just it's a very level playing field with golf, as everybody knows who's into golf. And um, it's great fun. I do it when I'm on holiday in the winter. Um, but, yeah, it's a great leveller, because if you think you're good, uh, there's a great footballer, well-known footballer, who's a really good friend of mine, one of the England players uh, from old. And, uh, and I keep... He's a great player, football player, and a great manager. Right. But um, I keep getting him to to try and play golf with me and he, he does play a little bit of golf but he's, he just loses balls continuously he says what's annoying about when you're really good at something people expect you to be great at everything, everything. yeah you know and um if you're good at one thing and then but and it i said don't worry about that because you got i don't worry about that you know i'm a i'm a half decent i you know i'm off 18 which to anyone out there knows that yeah. you know that's like you can get around a golf course but yeah it's a lot of fun uh, it's it's fresh air. Like I had my heart attack last year, which um, you know, was came out of, out of the blue really. And uh, so I've been doing things like trying to keep fit again. Lost a bit of weight. Not that I had loads on anyway. 
but just getting fit got a bit serious about it, you know, because yeah. I, I, I thought, fuck, I, did, I wanted to live more. I wanted more of life, you know, and uh, I didn't want to die. <laughs> it sort of puts everything into perspective, though, doesn't it? And it's sort it of really like, it's yeah. a big wake-up call. Yeah, yeah, it was a massive one for me. I've never forgotten being in the ambulance, you know, and been on the way to the, into the cardiac theatre where they put the stents in. And I, I honestly, I really did not have me down for one of those people as a heart attack. Yeah, stress, yeah, I'll get a lot of stress in that. But yeah, anyway, it happened and I'm all fixed now, so I'm good. And that's that's good. the main thing. And you're looking well, mate, you really are. Hot man. So I've got a couple more questions, Russell, and that's it. You yeah, you're far away. I'm, I'm up. I like questions, I like good ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? We're the yeah, best shit so far. Is that no, I know, I know. I just like, yeah, well, I like fucking go for the jugular. I don't mind. I'm up for it. <laughs> looking back on your. In fact, no. If you weren't in the music industry, what do you think you would be doing, mate? Uh, property development. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I've done quite a few properties over the years and uh, in the old days, and I'm good, you know, good with carpentry and love doing things up. I love going round into wrecks and doing them up and, and knocking them out and moving on. That's what I love doing. And that's, in fact, what I was going to be doing 25 years ago. I was on the verge. I was doing it anyway. And then I've off it. I didn't know that, man. That's fucking brilliant. Uh, in fact, I've been tiling this afternoon in, in one of my bathrooms. I, I belled you earlier and you were picking up the tiles, <laughs> weren't you? Yeah. In fact, Ray from Ocean Colour Scene phoned me this morning and I couldn't pick the phone up. The bass player, Ray, the new bass player, had been in 10 years. Couldn't pick the phone up to him because I was fucking underneath the sink. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you're always doing something. Like, oh, I call you. Like, no. I'll speak to you now. I'm just jet washing the driveway or something yeah. like that. I'm, I'm just painting my boat. I tell you, I I know, and but then I'm like that in the summer. But come the winter, I'm like Netflix up and on the sofa in fire. So I fucking hate the winter. I've got to be honest. I hate it. I don't, I don't mind it, man, because I like fucking putting on a load of layers and having it. Yeah, no, I suppose I'm all right once I've got into it, come around January. But it takes me a while to get into that sort of way of thought, you know. Definitely, man. So looking back over your career, Russell, are you proud of what you've achieved? Oh, beyond belief, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm proud that, um, I'm proud of everything, really. I'm proud, yeah, I'm proud of everything. I'm proud of... Uh, you know, that, that we didn't destroy the legacy of something that I held very close to me as well. You know, because when this was all started off many years ago, both Bruce, Rick and myself thought long and hard about what the legacy of it all meant. And, you know, some people it's going to rile them, but fuck them. Do you know what I mean? I, you know, I'm not there to please everybody and I can't, you know, can't, can't do that and there was a there was an area there was a lot of people that get extremely happy you know to watch grown men fucking cry when you play songs is, is something sort of um it's quite weird about it really but i mean it means that you've touched them yeah. and you, by, by being involved with what you're doing you know and i i for one of was it was a massive fan i was a, a fan um early on and um, so I understood exactly what it meant. You know, and all these people out there, or whatever they I mean, I don't pay much attention to social media these days. I don't do Facebook. I mean, I do a bit of Instagram, but that's how you got me on here tonight. 
but that's it. You know, and Bruce said to me years ago when I was uh, going to hit the delete button on Facebook, he said to me, look, man, he said, if, um, he said, if things people know you so well, they'll just ring you. He said, and if they haven't got your number, then they're not, then they don't know you that well, do they? And I went, yeah, good point. And I just hit the delete button on that. But I'm really proud of, um, of all of it. You know, I've all, I'm proud of, uh, that it means so much to a lot of people and that people thank me. And I'm never, I never tire of people saying thank you because, you know, and they go out of their way and they stop you in the street and say, you know, I really like what you're doing. And, and that means a lot. It does mean a lot because we all have insecurities. You know, we wake up sometimes, you know, and I, I've spoke to Paul about this, you know, Paul, Paul can be like that, you know, and, I, and it was nice to see that, that human side of Paul. And it was nice to see the side, you know, I was lucky enough to be with Ringo Starr back in, sorry to name drop that, but back in the 90s, you know, and around the studio with him. And, um, you know, he's got insecurities as well, musically. You know, you're talking about a fucking Beatle. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, 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 and I know this of George Harrison as well. I'm good friends with other people that are friends with George and that. And I know that George... George was very like that, you know, a very humble person. And I think humility, if you can get some humility into your life, which is what I'm always trying to do, I'm always conscious of that. Because when you come out, there's a persona on stage that you have, you know, that really, that humility and they don't really go hand in hand, you know. Because um, you can't come out one night on stage and say, "Look, go easy on me, everybody. I'm a little bit shy tonight." <laughs> you know, alive. And, and we, we, when we wake up in the morning, some mornings I just want to be a wallflower and disappear. You know, not every day do I want to be fucking up for doing a gig. You know, um, but it seems we used to be doing them every day of our lives many years ago. But we've eased back on that now. But. Um, but yeah, proud of it all, really, Ben. You know, I'm proud of all the people and the friends that I've made over the years as well. You know, some met some lovely people, you included. Um, met some fantastic people all around the world. You know, beautiful. Love that, mate. And just want to touch up. You know, talking about the jam, um, it, it plays such a big part on people's lives. That band. You know, when I go and see the crowd at your gigs like you can just see that it's like they've gone back in time if you don't mind me saying and it's like no. they're reliving their childhood again or when they were there in their teens watching the jam and especially for me watching it i love i, I, I can't get enough they are my favorite band the jam always been my favorite band my favorite album setting sun second favorite album the gift and people say well you can't have two favorite albums from you know you fucking can trust me and oh, guess what the third one is sound effect so that's free yeah. but like I, I just think, you know, when you meet someone who is such a big band, uh, such a big, um, they've got such a big passion for the jam, it's like you already know them. You know, you can talk about everything to them. And, and that's what I do love about social media as well, is when I tweet what song I'm listening to, especially it's normally always a jam one or something, and the love, and then it just gets people talking about it and talking about, oh, I remember seeing them back in, you know, 79 and all this. And, you know, I was at the last gig in 82. And fuck, it's, it's brilliant, mate. It's, so, it's like a way of life. You know, people say mod is a way of life. It is, you know, but the jam played such a big part on people's lives, mate. Oh, I hear it wherever I've gone, you know, whether it's been in 
London, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Newcastle, Sydney, you know, Chicago, New York, wherever. And people have said that, you know, and, and it played a massive part. It, it was funny taking it to America and being out in um, sort of, uh, I call it redneck country, really. <laughs> and then out by the fucking stage doors, there were people there with like the Modern World album for people to sign it, you know. And, fucking mental. And, and, you know, these are like Tammy, I call them Tammy Winnett clubs because it was the sort of area that Tammy Winnett, you know, these clubs in America that uh, we played, you know, my memory of it, it's a little bit faded on some of them, but when you go out to some of the, and you see the passion on their faces, you know, um, yeah, and it was great in New York as well. We played in Los Angeles and Clem Burke came and somebody introduced me to Clem afterwards from Blondie. Blondie. And then uh, and then about a month later, we ended up in New York, playing New York, and, and, and he brought Debbie Harry with him, which I was like amazingly blown away because Debbie was there and Clem were there in New York. And it was all sold out at the Gramercy Theatre and, you know, and, and I had a job to go and do, you know, which was go out and uh, be a front man of it, you know. But um, I've never gone out to try and steal anything, like any light from it at all. You know, I've never gone out to try and uh, be bigger than, uh, you know, just it, uh, originally I was just a cog in a machine, in, in the wheel, you know, a big cog, yeah. you know, to enable it to happen, you know, and I was riding it for the thrill. And then it's sort of, it's taken a, it's gone off into another tangent now for me, you know, it really has. So I don't think of, um, I don't, that's the thing. I don't actually think when I'm on stage, I just go out, I just play the songs and that's it really. Um, and I do, you know, I do listen to what people say uh, at gigs. I do I like to hear what they say, you know, invariably it, it's, it's pretty good. It's nice that they say that. Um, and, uh, you know, my friendship with Bruce as well, you know, me and Bruce have been really close friends for many years. And, uh, you know, and I love Bruce dearly. He's one, he's one of my closest friends. And we've been through a lot together. And Bruce won't mind me saying, you know, we went through some difficult times around that 09 period when he lost his wife, you know, and I was close with him. Um, and that was a very difficult period of time to go through. And there was a lot happening with the band and... A lot happened with the business side of it, you know, and uh, we were taking a cane in from the, the press and, you know, and, and it we just battened down the hatches and just sort of fought through it all, really. So we did go through an extremely difficult time around that, and that's when Rick left around that period. Um, and so me and Bruce, we just got closer and closer together, and we sort of, uh, yeah, we grew together, you know, and to be in the studio with me, Bruce and Paul, was fantastic because I saw Paul's love for Bruce as well, you know, and I was, uh, I've got some memories about being headphones on playing and Paul gave me his guitar, his old casino actually to, um, to play a couple of overdubs. And, uh, so I mean, that's why I remember this particularly. So I'm in there with headphones on Paul's uh, old casino on his old 66 casino. And, um, and I'm looking through at, Bruce and Paul chatting and I'm thinking, well, what they're fucking talking about? Because they're looking at me and talking, right? <laughs> Which was a weird experience, you know? So then when I've come out, I didn't say to Bruce straight away. I said to him after about 15 minutes, I went, here, 
what, what were you two talking about? He went, it was quite funny, really. He says, Paul said you reminded him of Steve Brooks a lot. I went, oh, really? I went, oh, so, okay, cool. I'll go with that. You know, I thought they were slacking me off. But it was funny, though, you know, because being around that, you know, being in the studio with Paul, because Paul's very at home, and we were at the studio there for a long time. So, you know, we used to, Paul used to come in a lot and uh, ask how it was going and come in with the family. And, you know, it's Paul's home, and he's very good at around that area. You know, he's very... And I've always found Paul, I'll talk about it now, you know, I've always found Paul a very nice person. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He is, mate. He's one of the, he's one of the good guys. You know, I've spent, similar to yourself, I've spent many, many times, hours in the studio with him. And I'm not a musician, I'm a magician, you know. For, so for him to let me into his place of work, yeah. Yeah. you know, it just proves how much love and respect he's got in yeah. me to be there. And, and, yeah. and then to, um, to end up on, uh, on Sunset, I ended up on that album as well. Yeah. I'm sure I told you, he, he got yeah. me on old father time doing the clapping i mean oh. for me that is a dream come true to to say i'm in my hero's album not only yeah. that it went number one as well so I'm it's the number one album, eh? yeah good for you ben i like all that stuff man it's when, when paul played piano on number six which is another great song that um it was about an old house that i owned i'd done it up actually i did the house up when we were when my kids were growing up and so that song's at number six was it was number six right away in bogan regis and um and paul played piano on it so paul said to me oh show me the chords to it so we went in and i sat at the piano with paul to show him the chords for it and he went okay with a minor b minor. yeah okay right i've got it right let me run with it so i ran back out and he's playing it and the, that's the, the live i think it was only like one or one take two takes on that so it's paul on the piano solo on that and, and he, he really did add color to the album and he also played on he's played on about seven tracks with us which is great. Unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's brilliant. And Wilco Johnson, I, I did a track as well and, and sat and Wilco came in not long after his operation. Uh, and that's how I met Alan McGee. Alan brought him down. And uh, Wilco came in and uh, it was great. Wilco picked up the Telecaster and fucking away he went, you know. And these are all big heroes of mine, man. You know, big heroes, you know, they're musical legends course man the the circles we know as you know yourself everyone sort of knows everyone all the good people seem to know all the good yeah. people you know what i mean, I yeah. mean you mentioned another guy there alan mcgee you know i mean you know yeah. I, I do a lot of q and a's and we always talk about the story you go someone says do you want to go and meet russell he's and he was like oh, I, I, don't, I don't think i'm gonna like him because you know i love the fucking jam he always said he goes, i don't know and he said he met you he said you know what i was so wrong i fucking love the guy <laughs> And it's a great story. He's a lovely fellow. I've got a lot of time for him. And uh, he is just one of the nice guys, you know. And we another quick story about that. We, me and Bruce end up staying around his house in, um, in Wales. And he met us from the train station. I think it was, yeah, met us from the train station. And as we go into the house, we're walking up the steps of the, uh, his house in Wales, which is, uh, let's just say, it's not a little small house. It's a nice, got a big house in the country a very big house in the country and um he says stop there turn around bruce and bruce turns around with his bag alan's actually got one of his bags he went you see all that out there and there's all these like tumbling hills right sprawling across the welsh downs or whatever you want to call them and he said i owe all that to you he said because i came to see the jam in like uh, i think it was glasgow apollo or something like that he said and it changed my life 
he said and that was it he said so i owe everything to you brilliant but yeah we we, we i i got a lot of time for alan mcgee you know he no, is no. a lovely man um he's uh you know he's 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 responsible for so much and uh people like him you know what i like about him he's like a really nice version of malcolm mclaren <laughs> you know and, and and i think he's a bit of a, a hero he likes mclaren you know what he was about you know as far as the manager was concerned but yeah he's a great nice version of malcolm mclaren that's how i think i liken him too great guy man great, great guy um i mean like all good things have to come to an end you know russell and i'm afraid to say we're coming to the end of this brother <laughs> I've really enjoyed chatting with you, man. Loved it, man. We, the thing with us, as we said before, we could talk for hours, mate, whether people are, whether it's for a podcast or just it's yeah. just me and you in a room. Me and you can talk for absolutely hours yeah. and we normally do. Um, but what's the next 12 months like for you, mate? We've got uh, festivals, which we finish in two weeks' time, and then we've got six weeks off, and then we start the Omocon tour with the skids are out on the road with us, which would be great because I love Richard Jobson. It was actually in the, the movie with Alan McGee's movie of, um, uh, it was called uh, Alan. Creation Stories, wasn't it? Creation Stories, thank you very much, yeah. So uh, Jobson was played Alan McGee's dad in it, in the movie. Yes, but, yes. Uh, Richard's out with us on the road um, from October the 6th, and it goes right the way round through till April time next year. So, Brilliant. and then, actually, in March, we fly off to... Uh, Dubai in March, do a festival in Mar in uh, Dubai, excuse me, and then we go down straight down to New Zealand and uh, do the power station in New Zealand, then fly into Sydney and then across Australia and back home. Brilliant, mate. If, if you ever need a, a magician <laughs> as a support act, absolutely. Funny, I was with a magician yesterday um, in the sea off the Isle of Wight. We were out swimming. It was a friend of mine's 60th, and we were out for a, a birthday beano on the day, day out. And uh, he's a good magi uh, magician as well. And I mentioned you. And he uh, went, who the fuck's he? Who the fuck's the magic mod? <laughs> exactly, right? That's what the T-shirts are all about. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he, he knew all about you. <laughs> 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 no, top man Russell, you know, right. you know, I always love talking to you. It's, and, you uh, too, I hope, hope the feeling's the same, mate. We always it have is, a great it chat. Really it really is. Yeah. Good man. So oh, I'm gonna leave it as that because I think we've given the people what they want. We've had some great stories there and I've really enjoyed it. I think this has been a great one, you know, especially being the number 10 episode you know you've been a fantastic guest russell and i mean that from bottom of my heart thank, mate. You. thank, thank you, you so much, much lovely cheers mate lots you of love and we'll speak to you soon you will do you have a lovely evening i'll speak to you, you soon too, man. Nice thank you wow that was brilliant absolutely loved that and i couldn't have asked for a better guest for uh hitting the milestone of 10 episodes i hope you all enjoyed it as much as i did and I look forward to seeing you next time and talking to Mon.